You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Genesis 46 is where we're going to begin reading. We're going to back up just a little bit. We're going to read four verses, uh, the first four verses of Genesis 46, and then we're going to skip, pick up in verse 28 of Genesis 46 and read through Genesis 47, 12. That sounded really confusing, didn't it? Yeah. Take something simple, make it problematic. Genesis 46, 1 through 4. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Now skip down with me to verse 28. Genesis 46, verse 28. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers, with their flocks and herds and all that they possess, have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen, and if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt and the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, 
and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reading. We thank you, Father, for preserving uh, this story, for giving this story to us. Well, Father, we thank you for the many lessons that are in this passage, for the many lessons that are in our text. And Father, we pray that you will teach us and that, Father, you will guide us and lead us and make application of the, the truths and the doctrines that you have here in this text, in this narrative. Help us, O oh Father, to mine them from your word, to see them from your word, to uh, understand and perceive them and to apply them in, uh, to our lives for your glory. And we look to you for this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, in verse 28, we see that uh, Judah uh, uh, is told by Jacob to go ahead and I just remembered to not put my phone on mute. I don't want to ring it while I'm preaching. It's happened before, actually. Um, in verse 28, we see that Jacob has made his way down uh, into Egypt. And he sends Judah ahead of him to Joseph. Uh, we're told to show the way before them in Goshen. The land of Goshen is their destination, where they are headed. And, of course, um, this informs Joseph that his family has arrived. And if you look at verse 29, then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen, and he presented himself to him. Now, I want to pause right there because it's easy to skip this. And I'll tell you why it's so easy to, it's so easy to miss what's taking place here in verse 29 because I'll tell you what I think we're, I'll tell you what I think we're hearing when we read verse 29. With all of the anticipation that we have uh, in this text, it's been 20 years in the coming where uh, Joseph and his father will finally see each other again. And because of this, I think we have a tendency to read verse 29 and think, well, Joseph hurried off to meet his father. Is that what the text says? I mean, it could have said that. The Holy Spirit could have said in Joseph, upon hearing about the arrival of his family, hurried off to meet his father. It doesn't say that, though, does it? What does it say? It says, Joseph prepared his chariot. Now, what difference does it make what car he's driving? Well, why add that in there? It's kind of peculiar, isn't it? Chariot. Why would the text... What difference is it? Ooh, I mean, this morning when you come up the steps, you just say, you know, I, you know, I brought the Lincoln this morning. That'd be an odd thing to say, wouldn't it? Okay, you brought the Lincoln this morning. Why the emphasis on the chariot? And if we think this through, now someone might say, wait a second, the chariot came up before in this narrative, didn't it? Yeah, back in chapter 41, if you turn back there to chapter 41, it may be to benefit to do that. If you go back to chapter 41 and you look at verse 43, as Joseph is rising to power, now, Joseph has interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, and he has said, listen, your dreams are about this. The Lord's giving you a dream to show you that there's going to be seven years of prosperity, followed by seven years of famine in the likes of which you've never seen. And furthermore, you need to store up food so that you can weather that famine. And Pharaoh recognizes the wisdom of God in Joseph. He recognizes the spirit of God in Joseph. 
And he, he calls Joseph, and there's a, there's a sort of a resurrection of sorts where Joseph is called out of the dungeon, and he ascends in a sorts to the right hand of Pharaoh, doesn't he? He puts him number two in command, and in putting him number two in command, if you look at verse 43, he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Now, what is, this, what is the significance of this second chariot? Well, this second chariot is Pharaoh's alternate motorcade. To, to put it into contemporary terms, this is a presidential motorcade. And there's no doubt that when Joseph was in this motorcade, that there was a company of protection around him and that people were making his way straight as he traveled, just like we see today. Uh, president was in Pittsburgh here not long ago. You know, I, I happened to be uh, in Pittsburgh trying to commute in Pittsburgh one year when, when President Bush was in town. And I was on, uh, what road was I on? Um, I was in Carnegie. I can't remember the name of the road I was on, but I, I could look over and see the parkway. There wasn't a car to be found on that entire parkway at, I don't know, 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning. Not a car. You want to talk about strange looking. Not either way. And he landed in Pittsburgh. He got in a car, and there wasn't anything between him and Pittsburgh. Nowhere. And that's the way... That's the way uh, royal, that's the way the, 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 the travel. It's appropriate. That's, that's the way it has to be to keep leaders safe. So here's Joseph. Joseph prepares his chariot. Now, if people were bowing to Joseph back when Pharaoh announced that he's number two in command, how much more homage do you think is being paid to Joseph now? I mean, Joseph said, listen, there's going to be seven years of prosperity. Okay, some say Joseph knows what he's doing. Some say, I don't know, whatever. Pharaoh seems to be convinced he knows what he's doing. Well, then here comes seven years of prosperity. Now, during the times of prosperity, people might have been have a tendency to forget Joseph because that's what happens in times of prosperity. But then after those seven years, here comes seven years of famine. Joseph really knew what he was talking about. Oh, thank goodness for Joseph that there is food in Egypt. I would say that if, you know, if one of the news networks was to do a public approval rating of Joseph at this point in time, it'd probably be through the roof. And when Joseph gets in his chariot and off he goes, he is going to be seen as a deliverer. So he gets back to our text in chapter 46, verse 29, Joseph gets into his chariot and he goes up to meet Israel his father. Now we've seen this play that Moses does, the author of Genesis. We've seen this play that he does, uh, calling Jacob Jacob at times, calling Jacob Israel at times. And there, there, there's reasons for this. There's lessons to be learned in this. And there's certainly a lesson to be learned in this here. Notice that he is referred to as Israel. Now what's the significance of that? Why? Why not call him Jacob? Well, it's because of verse 3. If you look back to verse 3, Genesis 46, verse 3, God is telling Jacob not to be afraid. Genesis 46, verse 3, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. 
for there I will make you into a great nation. Now, what we have in verse 29 is what we often call the prophetic perfect. What is the prophetic perfect? The prophetic perfect is when a prophecy is given and then it is spoken of as if it has already taken place. Does that make sense? God has told Jacob that he's going to become a great nation in Israel. And because God has said that, it's a done deal. Is there any chance that it cannot, that it's not going to come to pass? And as Jacob comes into Egypt, he is referred to as the nation that he is going to become. What we have here is a stately rendezvous, if you will. And what do I mean by stately? Take the L-L-Y off and just leave state. This is a political rendezvous that we have taking place here. It's a rendezvous where we have the second most powerful man in the world meeting the nation of Israel. And what's significant about this is that as Jacob comes down into Egypt, why is he coming to Egypt? Because the land of Canaan is a wreck. Because of the famine, because of the drought, there's no food there. It's a wreck. And uh, the Lord has promised to be with Jacob. And in being with Jacob, Jacob is not going to come into, into Egypt and he's not going to be treated like a pauper. This is extraordinary. Here comes Jacob with about 70 people and it, this is the cause of the dispatch of a motorcade by the second most powerful man in the world who are meeting here. Now, after this meeting takes place, verse 29 is so wonderful. I thought about making verse 29 our scripture memory verse, but, the, but that, let me not get ahead of myself here. Jacob presents himself to his father, and he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Now, after the stately stuff is over with, okay, after the stately stuff is over with, what is happening? We have a beautiful reunion. We have a beautiful, beautiful reunion. Jacob and Joseph, their eyes finally meet. Their ears hear each other's voice. It's been probably about 20 years. It's been about 20 years since Joseph heard his father send him on that errand. Joseph, I want you to go check on your brothers. Okay, Dad, I'll be back. It's been about 20 years since J Jacob sat his son on that errand. Uh, Joseph, I want you to go check on your brothers. I'm a little worried about them. Now, can you imagine how many times Jacob had probably said, if I wouldn't have sent him on that errand, I'd have him with me. He'd be with me now. My Joseph would be with me if I had not sent him on that errand. And what prospect did either, did either man ever have of seeing each other again in this lifetime? Hardly a prospect at all. But here we have this we have this reunion. Now, what does, what does Jacob say in response to this? In response to this, in verse 30, he says, Now let me die, since I've seen your face and know that you're still alive. That seems to be a strange thing to say, doesn't it? Actually, it's not. Um, James Boyce, in his uh, comments on this passage, he brings up a story that's very, very instructive in this. And he tells a story of a certain Greek who had three sons, 
that participated in the Olympics. And all three of these sons won their respective events. So he had the joy of seeing his three sons be victorious in their events and win the laurel wreath. But his joy was surpassed when the first son, upon receiving his laurel wreath, immediately went to his father and placed that laurel wreath on the head of his father in honor of his father. And then the second one received his wreath, and he did the same thing. And then the third did in kind. And the crowd was so overwhelmed, so overwhelmed by this display that they started chanting, die now, die now, die now, because you are never going to be happier in this life than you are right now. And that's what's being communicated upon seeing this reunion, this beautiful reunion. Now hold on to that because we're going we're gonna to come back to that. Now, in verse 31, we have Joseph and his, uh, he's, 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 he's uh, uh, giving his uh, brothers a little talk about how they're to approach Pharaoh. And then in uh, the beginning of chapter 47, the opening verses, there we have uh, uh, Joseph going into Pharaoh and speaking with Pharaoh, then the brothers speak to Pharaoh. I want to skip down to verse 7. If you look down to chapter 47, verse 7, then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now, someone might say, no, wait a second, read this again. Did you just say that Jacob blessed Pharaoh? Yeah, that's what it says, isn't it? Do you see that? Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. In fact, it says it in verse 7. Whenever Jacob comes into audience with Pharaoh, he blesses him. And if you look at verse 10, when Jacob leaves, he blesses Pharaoh again. Now, someone might be scratching their head right now. They might say, well, wait a second. Um, how is it that Jacob blesses Pharaoh? Because I seem to remember reading somewhere in the New Testament where it says that the inferior is blessed by the superior. And that's correct. You read that in Hebrews 7, verse 7, that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Okay, wait a second. Now, Pharaoh, at this time, Egypt is a world superpower. Pharaoh is in charge of Egypt. Pharaoh is arguably the most powerful man in the world at this time. Pharaoh is in charge of Egypt. He is the only place where there is food. So Pharaoh's got the power. Pharaoh's got the food. And as we continue to read on here, we can see Pharaoh's got the money too because he's selling this food off. Everybody's bringing their, they're bringing, their, they're bringing their savings. They're bringing their life savings to him, and he's cashing in. So he's got the power. He's got the land. He's got the food. He's got the money. Jacob, Jacob is coming down into Egypt so that he can stay there because the land of Canaan is not a suitable place to live at the moment. Yet Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Now, how can that be? It goes back to verse 3 and 4. 
fact, verse 4, more specifically. What does God say to Jacob? He has told him not to be afraid to go down to Egypt in verse 3. In verse 4, he says, I myself will go with you to Egypt. I'm going with you. Do you see the value of God being with Jacob in this? Because God is with Jacob, because of what God is doing with Jacob. You see what's going on with Jacob? Jacob is the patriarch of Israel. And who is Israel? Israel is the nation whom God has chosen to draw to himself. And in lieu of that, what does that make Jacob? In lieu of that, that makes Jacob the superior. Now, how often do we have this backwards, huh? Because in the world's eye, Pharaoh is superior. Pharaoh is the one who's superior. He's got the land, he's got the money, he's got the, he's got the food, he's got the power. But notice, in, notice how, how does Pharaoh react to this, by the way? I think we got really good reason to believe that Pharaoh actually is incredibly blessed as Jacob blesses him. Now, why would I say that? If we look at verse 8, notice what Pharaoh says to Jacob. He says, how many are the days of the years of your life? Now, when I read that, I'm always reminded of a story from childhood. Uh, I can't remember which birthday it was, but it seems to me it was either my, I don't think it was my 10th birthday. I think it was 12th or 13th birthday, but I have the date commemorated somewhere in an envelope. But on this particular birthday, and you'll remember this birthday because I had the privilege of having three grandmothers at my birthday that year. Three grandmothers. I had Grandma Anderson, Grandma Lee, and Grandma Forshe. You remember that summer? And I remember thinking, okay, Grandma Anderson is younger than Grandma Lee. I mean, I think my Grandma Lee's about eight years older than my, my Grandma Anderson. Okay, but my Grandma Forshe, who's my great-grandmother, she is my Grandma Lee's mom. And that makes her how much older? And it was killing me. I wanted to know how old she was. Now, one thing you don't do, <laughs> we all know that you don't do. You don't run around asking women how old they are, even if they are your grandmother. Hey, you don't do that. That's nasty, isn't it? So I thought it'd be clever. And I said to my Grandma Forshee, I said, Grandma Forshee, she goes, yes, sweetie. I said, when were you born? And I heard this Ricky Lee, and I don't remember if it was you, I don't remember if it was Grandma, or maybe both of you in unison. Ricky Lee, you know, you don't do that. And she was so sweet and gracious. She was a Christian woman, a wonderful woman, and she is so sweet and gracious. And she was like, it's all right. She says, it's sweetie. And, and mind you, folks from that generation spoke different, much different than we, much different than we speak today, but much different than we spoke in the 70s when this was taking place. And she said, sweetie, I was born in the year of the Lord, 1800. In 99. And I went, wow. <laughs> I thought that was so cool. You know, you were a teenager in World War I. You were like, you rode around in horse and buggy. I mean, you think of all the things that my grandma before she saw in her lifetime. And she was so gracious. She reached in her purse and she pulled out this penny. And she says, I'm going to give you this penny. If you look at the penny, and if you know anything about coins, if you're a coin collector, you know that 
Um, you've seen Indian head cents. You've seen Indian head pennies. It was an Indian head penny, and it was from the year 1899. She goes, I'm going to give you this penny, and if you keep this penny, you'll never forget the year that I was born, 1899. And I'm like, I collected coins. I liked coins. I thought this, I'm like, this is like the greatest. This is so cool, 1899. And if I might digress just for a moment, let me digress for a moment. These folks were so wise. They were so incredibly wise. She reached in her purse again and she pulled out a dollar bill. And she said to me, she says, here's a dollar bill. And I want you to keep this dollar bill always because as long as you keep this dollar bill, you will never be broke. So I took an envelope. I put the dollar bill in the envelope. I put the penny in an envelope. I put a date on it. And it's at home in the closet to this day. Now, what's going on here? is something quite different than the story I just shared. Pharaoh is not asking Jacob how many days of the, how many days of the years of your life, how, many, how old you are. He's not simply, he's just not curious about how old he is. There's something else going on here. The ancients believed that when a person lived to a ripe old age, that person lived to that ripe old age because they had received a lot of divine favor. Now, Pharaoh has a lot of good reasons to ask that. For one, who is Jacob's son? Joseph. And Pharaoh has seen that Joseph is like no other person that he's ever seen in his life. And in fact, in Joseph is the wisdom of God, and in Joseph is the spirit of God. And now here is Joseph's father, who the ancients would have seen as a superior to the son. So he is really, really curious about Jacob. And furthermore, I think that when Jacob blesses Pharaoh, I think he receives an extraordinary blessing. Why? Because God is with Jacob. God is with him. And he receives this extraordinary blessing. Now notice how Jacob answers in verse 9. Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. 130 years. Wow. Now my grandma Forshee... She lived to be either 100 or 101, or I think she died just a month short of 101, right? Or did she die a month short of 100? I can't remember. One or the other. Either way, she lived to be a right, lived a long time. Notice that Jacob here has got 130 years. 130 years. And how does he respond? He says, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. And he goes on and says, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And we might say, wait a second, few? You've lived to be 130 years of age and you're saying few are the years? And this has led some commentators to say that Jacob is feeling sorry for himself here. I don't agree with that. I don't think that's what's going on at all. I don't think he's feeling sorry for himself. I tell you what, what I think is happening is I think Jacob is actually displaying great humility. I think what Jacob is saying, okay, you, if, you, if you feel that uh, old age is a sign of divine favor, well, then you must know that few are my days. Few are my days in comparison to my father's. Now, Jacob's not putting himself down. He's just saying it like it is. And that's what humility is. We need to remember, humility is not putting yourself down. A lot of people are always putting themselves down, actually incredibly proud. That can be a gesture of pride. He's not putting himself down. Humility is seeing yourself for how you actually are. 
It's the absence of pride, which tries to make you something you are not. Humility is seeing yourself as you are. Well, what's he saying to him? Well, dude, few have been my days. Let me tell you, my great-grandfather Terah lived to be 205. My grandfather Abraham lived to be 175, and my father made it to 180. But I don't think they really even care about the actual lifespan. I think what's in view here is personal piety. Now, we would all, we've been studying, we studied the life of Abraham for many weeks, and then we studied the life of Jacob for many weeks, and I don't think any of us would conclude that Jacob towers over his grandfather in piety. No. Jacob has come a long ways because God continues to work with him. But what is Jacob doing? He's answering with great humility. With great humility, he answers the question. He says, few have been the days of the years of my life, but he also says, evil have been the days of the years of my life. And we have seen that, haven't we? Now, much of this is, some of this has been things that Jacob has brought on himself. I mean, you remember way back, what does Jacob do? He goes into his father's presence. His father is blind, cannot see him, takes advantage of his blindness, lies right to his face, tells him he's Esau, and receives that blessing. And that, that led him, have to, he has to flee his father's house. He goes up to Laban, and what happens up there? Falls in love with Rachel, works seven years for him, only to discover he's married to Leah, her sister. Has to work another seven years. And in the course of that, ends up married to four women. And has kids everywhere. Now, can you imagine the dissension in that house as we've seen it? Well, you know, at the end of 14 years, he's broke. And he's always going to be broke as long as he's enslaved to Laban. So he has to flee from Laban only to have to face Esau. He thinks he's going to get killed. Well, Esau meets him with, with, great, with great grace, actually, because God is with him. Then he makes his way down to Canaan, and what happens down there? You want to talk about you know, kid troubles? Everyone who has kids from time to time have kid troubles. You want to talk about kid troubles? Yeah, look at the kid troubles he's had. Look at the children troubles he's had. Joseph being sent off to slavery, uh, you've got the issue with Reuben you know, sleeping with one of his wives. You've got Simeon and Levi and their massacre of the Shechemites. You've got uh, Judah, his issue with Tamar. I mean, this is one really dysfunctional family. So what is he saying? He is saying, evil has been the days of my life. And notice that he refers to his life as a sojourning. A sojourning. What does it mean to sojourn? It means to stay in a place only for a short period of time. Jacob recognizes that his stay here in this world is for a short period of time. It's for a short period of time. Now, where am I going with all of this? Where I'm going with all of this is just have one point to make this morning. You notice how I keep making references to the fact that God is with Jacob. God is with him. God is with him. God is with him. But I'm also making reference to the fact that Jacob has had a lot of misery in this life. And the point that I want to make this morning is that the joy and the blessings of having God with us far exceeds the misery of all of the affliction that we face in this life. Did you get that? Hopefully that was clearer than the scripture verse earlier. 
I'll say it again. The joy of having the, the joy and blessing of having God with us far exceeds the misery of the sum total of all of the affliction that we will that we will suffer in this lifetime. And I don't think Tammy would mind me sharing this with you. Let me let me let me clinch this point uh, this way. A couple of weeks ago, when I was looking ahead at this at this text, and I was just meditating on this beautiful reunion that we had. Remember, I asked you to hold on to that for a few minutes. This beautiful reunion between Joseph and his father. I made a note in my little tablet here um, to the effect that could this beautiful reunion be a foretaste or an illustration? of the reunion that a believing daughter, for instance, may experience with her believing mom when the believing daughter enters into heaven. Let me flesh that out. Jacob and Joseph had little prospect of ever seeing each other again in this lifetime. Now, they may have thought we'll see each other again in the next lifetime, but they see each other, and we have this beautiful reunion. Tammy lost her mom when she was 16 years old. Now, for all of these years, she has been separated from her mom. Now, her mom was a strong believer. Her mom has been in paradise with the Lord all these years. But could what we have here with this reunion and the joy of this reunion, could it be a foretaste? Could it be an illustration of the joy that Tammy will experience when she enters into heaven and sees her mom? Could it be the joy that a grandson will experience when he enters into heaven to see his believing? Grandfather, you, you, can, you, can, you can apply this any way that you want. Should we be separated for a time, which we probably will be, everyone, we are, we are going to be separated uh, by death for a period of time. But provided that we are all in Christ, we will be reunited. And in that reunion, it will be beautiful. Could this be an illustration of the beauty of that reunion? I'm saying yes. And I'm saying that that is just one fraction, as joyous as that is. In fact, I don't even know how to explain that joy. I, I'm, with, I'm with Joseph. I mean, die now. How do, you, how do you describe joy of that magnitude? Die now. Only I would add to it, don't die now. Because that is... There's something that's even greater than that joy. And it will be the joy of seeing Christ Jesus upon his throne and recognizing that we only have this joy because of him. Because he lived that perfect life that we couldn't live and he took that life to the cross and he died in our place so that he could wash us and cleanse us and make us fit for heaven so that we could be reunited with our loved ones and be reunited with him and experience this joy that's completely off the charts. That is the blessing and the joy 
of Emmanuel, God with us. I thought to myself, Rick, you've got a Christmas message here. Maybe you ought to save it for Christmas time. Well, we'll have other Christmas messages. I can only preach what God has given me. And I believe this is what he gave me this week. But it sounds like Christmas, doesn't it? In one sense, I think every sermon should sound like Christmas in this sense. God is so good. And the joy of having him with you. Here we see it over and over and over again. God says to Jacob, I'm going to be with you. Don't be afraid to go. What's Jacob thinking as he rattles his way down there, bounces on those wagons all the way down to Egypt? I'm a beggar. I'm going to be down here looking for a handout. I mean, it's, and no, he gets this stately reception. A motorcade meets him. He's put in the presence of Pharaoh. He blesses Pharaoh. Who blesses Pharaoh? You probably get killed trying to do something like that. And he blesses Pharaoh. And I think Pharaoh receives an incredible blessing by him. Why, Emmanuel? Because God is with him. If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, and I trust that you are, and, and we, we're in Christ Jesus by trusting Christ Jesus, trusting what he's done in our place on the cross, trusting his finished work in our stead, placing our trust in our care of our souls in his, in his possession. If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, then the Lord is with you too. And regardless, Jacob has told us, he's led the way. He said, listen, my days have been evil. In the moment when Tammy is reunited with her mom, she will not think for one second about an ounce of the pain that she has endured during the time they were away. The joy and the blessing of God with us far exceeds the sorrow and the misery of the sum total of affliction that we will endure in this life. Is that the best of news or what? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the news of this message, Father, that you've given us in this Old Testament text is so joyous that it's very hard to communicate without losing one's composure. And, oh, Father, we thank you because this is the joy of heaven. This is the joy of Christ. This is the joy of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a taste of the joy that you, that you enjoy in the presence of each other, that you have shared with us, and you have given us the, uh, the ability to perceive it and the ability to enjoy it. And here we are, Father, in your presence, and we're trying to describe this joy. And, Father, it's only these illustrations that can take us there. But you've given us these illustrations. And for that, Father, we are so thankful that we can see and come here this morning and enjoy this. Oh, Father, help us, oh, Lord. Help us, oh, Father, to take inventory of this. Help us, oh, Father, to hold on to this. And as we find ourselves enduring these things, as we find ourselves enduring these hardships and these troubles, as we find ourselves enduring all of this, oh, Father, may our minds be brought to the joy and blessing of having you with us the joy and blessing. May we recall this text and recall all the things that Jacob endured and recall this entry into, into Egypt. Oh, Father, we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.